0: and much more. The present generations did not grow up in awareness of the Islamic state that implements Islam as it was revealed. This absence of awareness lasted for nearly 100 years. Therefore it is difficult to bring closer the image of the Islamic rule to minds that are influenced by reality to a large extent and they cannot imagine the ruling except in the standard of what they see in reality of democracies, monarchies, nationalities and other forms of political, economic, and societal organization. I wanted to quickly stop at the form of governance that Muslims need to realize this truth in the light of Sharia, and I mean monarchy, and the inheritance of ruling. From a fundamental point of view, I say, government and authority inherently belong to the Ummah. The Ummah is the one addressed with the implementation of the rulings of the Sharia and tens of verses have been revealed in the noble Quran regarding ruling and authority. In order for the Ummah to implement these rulings on the ground, Islam came and showed it the Sharia way to do so, by commanding Muslims to establish a state on the basis of Islam and to elect a ruler among them who would be given Bay'a to obey him for implementing the Sharia. That is, the ruler in the Islamic system is the representative of the Ummah in the implementation of Sharia and the Sultan belongs only to the Ummah. This is one of the rules of governance in Islam and it is a rule taken from the Sharia making the role of appointing of the head of state only to the Ummah. So Sharia makes the appointment of the Khalif by Bay'a and the Bay'a is from Muslims to the Khalif and not from a specific group and not a specific group of them such as the army leaders, parties, politicians or the like, but from the Muslims. The same happened from the rightly guided khalifs after the messenger. The khalif used to be appointed by the bay'ah from the people. So Abu Bakr did not become a khalif except by the bay'ah to him. Abu Bakr nominated Omar after consulting the companions and they accepted him. So this is when he said, do you accept one I chose as a successor to you? By Allah, I have exerted every effort and consulted many, and I did not appoint anyone who is related to me. Omar did not become Khalifa with this nomination, but by bay'ah to him after the death of Abu Bakr with the consent of the companions. And the same is the case with Osman and Ali. May Allah be pleased with them. The ruling of Sharia is that the appointment of the Khalif is limited to only one way, which is the bayat by the Muslims. If the Ummah does not exercise its right of the bayat, such as if the ruling is usurped by force and oppression, or the ruling is taken with the support of external forces, or the ruling is inherited within a family, then the authority would have been taken away from the Ummah. However, the Khilafah contract is a contract of mutual consent and choice like all other contacts. It is only between two contracting parties, one of which is the Ummah and the second is the ruler or the Khalif. So it is a ruling contract. If one of the two parties is missing, the contract is invalidated altogether, and it is like any other void contracts. And the ruler is not a shara'i ruler, rather the ruler is considered at the time a usurper of power and the the rule of the usurper of power shall be applied on him. Authority belongs only to the ummah and it is a dangerous and important matter that the ruling of violating reaches killing. Umar ibn al-Khattab confirmed this by saying, Whoever pledges allegiance to a man without consulting Muslims, he must not be followed, nor should the one who has pledged allegiance to him be followed. Otherwise, they have put themselves in the risk of being killed. And he's saying عن, to the six: he who gains a position of emir without the consultation of the Muslims, strike his neck. The position of the senior companions was clear and, and violent, when they felt the signs of the misapplication of the bay'ah and they objected to this strongly and considered it an evil action and they rejected and attacked it. It is in what was the private property of a person bequeathed to his family or offspring after him and this is the matter upon which the monarchies are based in their essence. The authority in it belongs to the king and his family who transfers it one to another by covenant, deals, or even strife and conquest. Whereas there is no inheritance in the Islamic system of government, rather it is taken over by the one who the Ummah gives bay'a to by consent. One of the characteristics of the monarchy is that it grants the king special privileges and rights that no one else from among the subjects can have. It makes him above the law and provides him with immunity and makes him a symbol of the nation. While the system of Islam does not give the caliph or the Imam any privileges or special rights, he only gets what any member of the Ummah gets. He is not a symbol of the Ummah who owns and does not rule, nor is he the symbol who owns, governs and disposes of matters of the country and the people as he wants and desires. Rather, he is a representative of the Ummah in a power and authority. However, shortly after the period of the Khilafah Rashida, the monarchical form of government was seeped into the body of the Ummah and this deviation expanded until real ruling families emerged and over the ages this this form was forced, focused on, so it became customary for for the caliph to appoint his brother or son as a crown prince, appoint his other brother a minister and distribute positions to his relatives to hold state positions, workers, army commanders, carry out administrative interests and other leadership roles with these historical accumulations in the life of the ummah and due to multiple factors the political taste of many of the ummah's sons have become corrupt It has become accustomed to dealing with the monarchy form as a government and considered this an acceptable historical form and contemporary realistic requirement to achieve stability and power. For example, some people find it easy to describe the state as a country of the son of so-and-so. The transfer of power from the father to his son or brother has become and inevitability, and the special privileges have extended to the include all sons of the royal families and many other aspects of the privatization of the government and power. For all of this, and for the next Khalifa to be on the method of prophethood, the rule of the Sultan must be clear to the Ummah, and it is necessary to have a very vigilant to any possible appearance that emerges with its head of a repeat of what happened in history, of families, concentration in ruling, and to take a strong and decisive methods to block its path before any signs of royal form appears. For example, the people stipulated that the ruler, before the inauguration, as a ruler, he must not appoint his relatives in leadership positions in the authority. And this is one of the permissible conditions that do not violate the Sharia. In the end, and summarizing the above, I say in the Khalifa that we want and work for, the Khalif is a representative of the Ummah in the implementation of the Sharia, and he is a man chosen by the Ummah willingly. The bay'ah is the way to appoint the ruler and not a superficial act to shake hands with the ruler. The ruler's relatives have no privilege. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir, and Sira are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes.